talk about gardens. Do you know one of the things that I love about spring is watching nature wake up, isn't it? Seeing the buds come back on the trees and the flowers begin to awaken. And I'm no gardener, as you know, my um, my. My garden is filled with artificial plants because we forget to water them and they die. But even though I'm not a gardener, I do appreciate a good garden. Okay, so I love going to places where there's beautiful gardens like Kew Gardens or stately homes and just wandering through the grounds and just observing just the masterly way that a gardener has taken time to arrange the beautiful plants and flowers that are sculpted within the garden, seeing how gardens teem with vitality and life and color. And I love that. I don't know about you, but I find something really calming and restorative when I go to a garden that is just so beautiful. And it does make me just think about our creator. It does make me think about God and think, wow, God, all of this you've placed in our world to brighten and color our world around us. So I love a good garden, but one thing I've realized is that God loves a good garden too. You may remember one of the first things that God created in Genesis was the garden. Genesis 2.8 says, Then the Lord planted a garden in Eden. We could go as far as to say that really God is the master gardener. He loves gardens so much. And what's really interesting to note that he is when, when you look through scripture, he actually likens our lives to gardens. Not sure if you ever realized that, but in Isaiah 5, verse 7, it says this. The people of Judah are his pleasant garden. Isaiah 58, 11 says, you will be like a well-watered garden. And Jeremiah 31 also says, their life will be like watered gardens. So that's got me thinking, if God is the master gardener, what kind of things is he planting in my life if he says that my life is like a garden? So today, we're going to spend some time having a look at the kind of things that God has planted in our lives, which he calls a garden. And we're going to be take reference from the book of Solomon today. Now, the book of the Song of Solomon is typically known as a book of love. And what is his purpose? Well, Solomon shares about the love between a bridegroom and his bride, two people that are absolutely captivated with one another. And as we read this book, we can read this message and this book on two levels. First of all, the book of the Song of Solomon really does affirm the sanctity of marriage. But not only that, it also represents our relationship with Jesus. It represents the overwhelming love and devotion that Jesus has for us. And we know that he calls us his bride. 
So as we read the Song of Solomon, as we've just sang about the overwhelming love of God, that's the love that Jesus has for you and I here today. It's an overwhelming love full of devotion. So we're going to pick up on a passage in chapter 4 where it begins to talk about all the different plants that are found in this garden. And we're going to begin reading from verse 12. And it says this, A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain sealed. Your plants are like an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits. Fragrant henna and spikenard, spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the chief spices. A fountain of gardens, a well of living waters and streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south, blow upon my garden, that its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat of its pleasant fruits. That is the kind of garden that has been planted in our lives. It's not a wild meadow filled with dandelions and daisies, but it's a garden that's filled with abundance of choice fruits, trees and spices. So this morning, I want us to begin to look at some of these plants that are planted in our garden to see what we can gather about the kind of planting that God has placed inside of each of our lives. And the first thing I want to begin with is looking at the fact that the Bible says that God has planted an orchard of pomegranates within our lives. I'm not sure how many of you have ever tasted a pomegranate before. They're not the easiest to eat. They take a little bit of time to get into. But when you do, you are met with a beautifully delicious and sweet jewel-like seed, which is really, really scrummy. And in the Old Testaments, the priests used to have pomegranates actually sewn onto their garments, and they were symbolic of the priest's prayer life. Do you know, as followers of Jesus, God desires for prayer to be at the foundation of our relationship with him as part of our daily walk with him. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because it doesn't say that there's a pomegranate tree planted in the garden. It says that we have an orchard of pomegranates contained within our lives. That means that they are not in short supply. That means that God wants us to have a continual conversation with him because that's what prayer is. Prayer is a conversation between us and God. And sometimes our prayers take on many different forms. You know, sometimes our prayers are like that of King David, where we are praising God for who he is, for his majesty as we behold his goodness. There's other times where our prayers are filled with thanksgiving for all that he has done for us. There's other times where our prayers are asking God for his help, asking God for his strength, asking God for his forgiveness in our lives. 
And then there's times when our prayers are for lifting up certain requests like we've done today, lifting up the needs of other people that we know, lifting up our own needs, our own things that we're struggling with, and we need God to be the center of it all. But here's the thing about prayer. God doesn't want it to be like a tick off the list kind of thing that we do. He really does desire for us to have a continual conversation with him. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says this. It says, never stop praying. Never stop praying. Never stop talking with the Lord. Because when you talk with him, because it's a conversation, there's such intimacy that is found when we pray. And an important point to mention here is notice it says, never stop praying. It doesn't say never stop talking to God. The thing is with a conversation is it's a two-way thing, hey? So when we're praying, it's not about us doing this 24-7. Just like in any conversation, when we pray, we then take time to wait to receive a response from the person that we're speaking with. And that's what it's like with prayer. Our prayers go out before God, prayers of him, praise, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers that are cries for help, prayers that are lifting up supplications and requests to God, and we pray them. But it's really important that we take time then to wait. And receive response from him. Because this is a conversation between God and ourselves. It's not just us doing this. He wants to speak back. He wants to give us answers. He wants to encourage us. He wants to infirm us. He wants to build us up. And it's beautiful. We see this mirrored in the life of Jesus. He demonstrates it so beautifully. And as we see him going off and spending time, he says, I'll only do what the Father says for me to do. That was during his quiet times of prayer. As he prayed and as he opened himself to God and said, what is it that you have me to do? And the beautiful thing about our relationship with God is that we can have the same connection with God that Jesus did. He wants us to have that same level of intimacy and dependency that Jesus did. It wasn't something that we can never attain to, but it's something that he invites us all to receive because, oh, God wants to be so intimate with us. He wants us to know, he wants us to be so intimate. And that is why he's planted an orchard of pomegranates within our lives as we begin to praise and pray to him and receive instruction from our creator. The next spices I want us to have a look at, I'm going to group together, and they are henna and saffron. Now, whilst there's many uses for all of the plants that I'm going to talk about today, today I'm just going to bring out certain key features. And this morning, with henna and saffron, I want us to focus on the fact that they are color agents. 
Henna is used to dye skin, hair, and fabrics. And saffron is often used as in coloring within foods. Both of these spices brighten things that they come into contact with. So what does that have to do with us? Well, we've had our lives touched and changed by Jesus. And now we have the wonderful opportunity to begin to brighten the world around us as we carry his life and his hope wherever we go. So how can we do it? I think the easiest way to say, the way we can color the world around us is to follow his example. The Bible says, as God loved us, as Jesus has loved us, so we are to love one another. He wants our lives and the love that he has put in our lives to be diffused to the people that we meet around us. Romans 12, 9 says this, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. That is how we can help color the world around us, is by loving the people that we are placed into contact with. That may look like an encouraging word. That might look like coming next to somebody and helping them. That may look like being kind or being tolerant or being patient. That might look like going out of our way for somebody because we can see that they need help. You know, over the centuries, you only have to look at some of the reformations and some of the transformations that, that have taken place in society to see that often Christians have been at the forefront of this amazing change. Caring for the sick and dying, it was Christians that founded the hospice move, movement and actually were integral in find, um, founding a lot of hospitals. Then we only have to look at William Wilberforce, who dedicated his life to standing up for injustice to see a slavery abolished. Then we see Christians touching their lives, touching the lives of others that people and our world would reject. People like William and Catherine Booth, who set up the Salvation Army, reaching thieves and prostitutes and drunkards and gamblers, and the poor and the vulnerable with the love of Jesus. Or we can take a look at George Muller, who cared for over 10,000 orphans, and he set up over 117 schools. These are all people that have been touched by the love of Jesus and have taken the love of Jesus and have allowed the life and the love of Jesus to flow out into the world in which they live, to brighten and color the world in which they were involved in. And it's the same for you and I today. God may call us to impact the lives of 10,000, but equally God may call us to impact the lives of one. 
Doesn't it say in the Bible, if you give a cup of water in my name, you are doing it as unto me. And the thing is, is that God wants us to give our lives to color the world around us, to take his love, his unconditional, passionate love, and to use it to diffuse his life and his love to other peoples in our world. We get to be Jesus' hands and feet. Matthew 5 says it like this in verse 14. You are the light of the world. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So each day, let's ask the Lord to show us how we can bring color to the world in which we live, how we can allow his life and his love to be shown to other people that we meet. The next thing that I want us to see in this garden that we see planted is cinnamon. Now, cinnamon is a flavoring, and it makes things taste better. I am personally a lover of Cinnabon cinnamon rolls. They are delicious. I even like them more than chocolate. There is something delicious about a sticky cinnamon bun with cream cheese frosting, and I love them. But do you know what? Cinnamon is something that punches a great taste, and it makes an impact in the people that are tasting it. And God says that our lives are to burst with flavor. Our lives are to burst with flavor. So in that case, what kind of taste do I leave in the mouths of people that come into contact with me? Be it my family and friends, be it my, um, my employers, be it people that I socialize with, be it my um, people that I go to school with. What kind of taste do I leave in their mouths? Is it something negative? Am I always talking about the woes of the world? Is my conversation always revolved around me and quite self-centered? Or do I gossip about others and bring people down and always find something to moan about? Or are my words kind and helpful and good and encouraging? Words that build people up, just like it talks about in Ephesians 4. What are my words like? Psalm 34, 8 says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. We are Jesus' representation here on earth. So when people taste us, they're tasting Jesus. When people taste us, they're getting a little bit of a sample of what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. So we want to make sure that his life is well represented in our lives and that we're not giving out bitter tasting things, but that our words and our lives would be like cinnamon, that they would be full of flavor and linger as well. The smell lingers, doesn't it? Cinnamon, if you were ever cooked with cinnamon, you can walk into a room half hour later and you know that cinnamon's been cooked with. And that's what our lives are to be like. We, that people get to taste Jesus as they come into contact with us. The fourth thing I want to talk about is spikenard. Now, spikenard is a very precious, expensive perfume. And it has a really unique 
fragrance. And actually, when we read in Mark 14 about the woman that broke the alabaster jar and anointed Jesus' head, it was spikenard that was contained within that jar. Now, for this lady to anoint Jesus' head with um, this oil, it was a very, very expensive gift. Because the thing is, spikenard had to be imported from a different country. It was very rare and very precious. And it would have cost this woman greatly. And in the presence of its aroma in that room, it would have been an indication that the very best had been offered. Spikenard speaks of our complete love and devotion for him. You know, I love the fact that he, he, he's planted spikenard in our lives. It's funny really though, isn't it? Because we can be passionate about a lot of things in life, a lot of things that the world has to offer, maybe through our hobbies and our interests or our jobs. We may move to the other side of the world to find that perfect job or change our lifestyle to accommodate our hobbies and interests and passions. And do you know what? By and large, nobody will say anything about us doing that. In fact, we might actually get congratulated for the sacrifices that we're making in order to do the things that we love. But isn't it interesting when as followers of Jesus, we wholeheartedly give of our lives and our devotion to him through the way in which we love him, through the way in which we worship him, through the way in which we give, and through the way in which we serve. Isn't it funny that the critics will come and they'll say, just like the men in Mark 14, what she did is too much. Mark 14 says this, this is what the men in that room said when they watched the woman anoint Jesus' head. They said, why waste such expensive perfume? It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. You know, oftentimes people don't get it, do they? They don't get it, the depth of relationship that we have with Jesus, that it's not, it's not a, it's our joy to be able to love him with utter devotion, to be able to lay our, down, our lives down, to be able to serve him wholeheartedly. It's our joy. Why is it our joy? Because it was a joy for him to endure the cross for you and I. He willingly laid down his life for you and I. And so for us, we can't help but want to respond to that declaration of love by giving all of us back to him. Paul says it like this in Romans 12. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be like a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. God has planted spikenard in our garden, and he knows that it is costly. 
when we lay down our lives to worship him, when we take up our cross to follow him, often leaving the way that we did things behind and as we follow on a new path, it's like a sweet aroma that goes before the Lord that is so pleasing to him, just like when the woman anointed his feet. Jesus didn't rebuke her for doing that. No, he was, he was blessed by that. And as we freely and willingly and unashamedly devote our lives to him, it's that aroma of spikenard that ascends before the king and into his presence. But the one thing that's interesting is spikenard has a really unique aroma that lingers. So you know, after the woman had anointed Jesus and maybe everyone had gone, I imagine there would have been people that would have walked into that room later and gone, what's that smelling? What's happened here? What's gone on here? You know, our worship and devotion is like that. It leaves a fragrance. It lingers that other people can see something's happened here. This isn't normal. But in doing that, again, we are reaching out and showing people the better way of life, the life filled with the love of Jesus. The fifth thing I want to talk about today is calamus. Now, calamus is a scented cane, and it was used in the anointing oil. And when calamus blossoms, they pick the petals and they bruise them in order to extract the fragrance. How many of you have ever walked into something and knocked yourself and you've ended up with a bruise? They're sore. Okay, they don't need the attention of a cut, but they do leave a mark and they are, and they are tender. I opened the door onto my leg yesterday. I've got a lovely little egg now on my leg and it's sore. I was in bed last night and someone's going, I'm going, she goes, what are you doing? I said, I just touched my bruise and it's really sore. Not life-changing injuries, but it's noticeable. How many of us have ever been bruised by life before? Maybe not huge life-changing events, but still they leave their mark and we, be a bit, we become a bit tender. It could be disappointment. It could be hurt. Maybe somebody was careless with their words, but it's gone deep. You, you felt it. Maybe you've been let down or overlooked, or perhaps somebody's received something that you've really wanted, and you feel like, oh, I've missed out again. How do we deal with those situations? Because we all get bruised. We all get knocked. You know, oftentimes our initial reaction is want to withdraw or want to become distant. Maybe we feel, oh, we'll put less effort in and withhold our best. Or other times we become a bit pouty. You know, we're on edge with people, a bit snappy. But what does this verse say here? Because it says that calamus is planted in our lives. And here's the thing. For the fragrance to be extracted from the petals of calamus, it has to be bruised. But we don't get a rotten egg smell when the calamus um, petal is um, bruised. No, we get a sweet fragrance. 
So that says something that each one of us can take hold of for our own lives. When we get bruised by life, we don't have to smell like rotten eggs. We can smell sweet. Now, saying it and doing it is two different things. I completely understand that. So what does it look like to put it into practice? It means asking the Holy Spirit to allow the fruits of the Spirit to come through our lives when we feel bruised. The fruits of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the things, the sweet fragrance that we can draw on when we ask the Holy Spirit for help and allow a fragrance to come from our lives that is sweet. Not always easy, but hey, some of these things that are found in the garden, like in order for the fragrances to come through, they go through a bit of a process. But God says that there's a sweet fragrance in that process. And we've just got to lean in and tap into him and say, God, help me. I can remember my first Mother's Day. Now, I built this up massive in my head. I'm like a fairy tale queen, okay? Go large, go home. I'm there. I'm thinking, first Mother's Day is going to be awesome. Dave is going to do fantastic things for me. I have sacrificed and laid down my life for my child. It's been such an adjustment. I've been up in the night. It, you don't get a day off. It's 24-7. I'm like, I can't wait to see what he is going to do to show his appreciation for me on this first Mother's Day. So I kind of like got up a little bit earlier, but pretended I was sleeping. I, I, in my mind, I was waiting for breakfast in bed to begin with, just saying. So I was waiting and waiting and nothing happened. So I thought I'll just pop downstairs and just maybe they're serving it at the table for me. Nothing. And then I'm like, where's the cards and the gifts that I'm waiting be, to be showered with? Nothing. And so we're getting ready for church, and I'm like, maybe Dave is just getting Daniel ready, and then he's going to do it all. Nothing. Not even a happy Mother's Day. And then I'm going to church, and I'd read about this before, and I tell you, I kid you not, all I was doing was going, be fragrant when bruised. Be fragrant when bruised. Be fragrant when bruised. I wanted to like go like this, to be honest. I wanted to be a bit short, sharp, one word answers. That's what I wanted to do. And I just was reminded about, no, Faye, you don't have to be like this. You're a bit disappointed and a bit hurt at the moment, but that's okay. You can still be sweet. You can still be loving. You can still have a smile on your face that is genuine. It's not the smile that has like the evil dagger eyes behind it, stuff like that. You know, you can be genuine and you just get over this. So I've been there. It's hard. But do you know what the Bible says? They're little bruises. No, they're not huge wounds, but they can impact us. But when they do come around, ask the Holy Spirit to allow the fruits of the Spirit to walk through our lives, even though we don't want to, even though we want to do everything else, the snappy, the, um, you know, the distant, the ignore. No, the Bible says, let our fragrance be sweet, not stinky egg. 
okay? So the sixth thing I want to talk about that's found in the garden is aloes. And now there's a lot of properties for aloes, but one of the things that it is used for is a medicine, and it's to treat and soothe burns and sores and skin conditions. The reality is we all go through difficult and challenging times, and they can often leave their mark on our lives. It could be losing loved ones. It could be plans that we made for our lives not turning out the way we expected. Maybe we've encountered failure. Or perhaps we've been on the end of somebody's harsh words, words of criticism, or not very nice action. The amazing thing about our garden is that there is a supply of aloes planted in our life that we can draw upon to help soothe and bring healing to ourselves and to others. How does that look? Well, it happens through our words and our actions. It could be for us extending forgiveness to somebody. It's really tough when you know you've done something wrong by somebody. You can live with a lot of guilt about that. And going up to that person and saying, I forgive you, can really help soothe that person. And not only that, it releases us from any unforgiveness or bitterness that we may begin to hold in our hearts. So it could be something like extending forgiveness. It could be coming alongside somebody when you know they're going through a tough time and helping to support them. Galatians says this in um, chapter 6, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. So it could be helping somebody, helping to soothe them when they really are up against it and they need somebody to help come alongside them. Or it could be praying and sharing God's word in a situation. I can remember a number of years ago, I met a lady in Tesco, and she turned out to be the grandmother of my daughter's friend. And as we were chatting, I mentioned that I went to the King's Church, and she said, oh, I'm a Christian. But she said, I haven't been able to go to church for years because I really struggle in my health. And we began talking, and I said to her, well, maybe you can't get to church, but we do have a connect group that happens in our home, and you'd be welcome to join us in our connect group. And we exchanged numbers. Later on that week, on the Saturday, I was actually at a birthday party, and one of the people that comes to our church was at the birthday party, and I was sharing about this lady that I had met, and she said, oh my gosh, she used to be my neighbor. So I said, well, I've invited her to come along to our connect group. She said, that's brilliant. So that Saturday, I then messaged this lady and I said, hey, it was so good to meet you for the first time this week. I um, just wanted to let you know, I bumped into somebody this week that mentioned that you really impacted their lives growing up. I said to her that I'd invited you to connect. So if you ever want to grab a lift with her, you're more than welcome. But just letting you know, I'm thinking about you. The Sunday morning, I got a message from her saying, thank you so much for your message, Faye. Been in hospital all night. Her son has had a really bad accident, extensive facial damage, going to need constructive surgery. 
So, of course, I messaged her back, and I said, we're praying. Um, we are going to pray that God is going to do a miracle, that there's not going to be any long-lasting scars on his face. And we prayed. And over the following week, I prayed, I touched base with her, found out if she needed anything. And she said, Faye, you will never guess what. It's a miracle. He's come out of surgery and his face, there's no evidence scarring. And I messaged her back and I said, do you know what? I said, I don't believe it's an accident that we met in Tesco the other day. I really believe that God placed me in your life because he wants you to know just how valuable your family is to him. And he wanted us to be able to come alongside and help carry the weight and the burden as your son's going in for an operation, as we lift him up as a church family and pray for his needs. That's what Aloes does. That's what aloes releases. It helps people. It soothes them. We get to point to Jesus. We get to be practical and help make and soothe the hurts and the wounds that people are facing. The seventh thing I want to talk about is myrrh. Now, myrrh is a painkiller. For the oil to be extracted from myrrh, though, the root has to be crushed. You know, Jesus went through a crushing experience so that you and I could be here today. Let me read to you about it in Isaiah 53. It says, still, it's what God had in mind all along to crush him with pain. The plan was he, that he give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it. Life, 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 and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. Jesus endured the cross so that we could be freed of the pain and the consequence of sin in our lives. He was the ultimate example of how myrrh was released from his life as he was crushed to help kill the pain that we would have all experienced without him jumping in and bridging the gap. You know, life sometimes has crushing experiences for us personally as well. You know, and whilst that crushing time is often tough, we can be encouraged by the fact that Jesus can use the hard and the difficult and the valley experiences of our lives to produce a rich reserve of myrrh within us. Things aren't wasted. Things sometimes are tough. But God is able to work something in and through us in those tough times if we were to talk and just speak to you today, I'm sure there are some of you that in five minutes could give us life advice that may have taken five, 10, or 15 years of hardship to go through. And you would be able to share from the depths 
of what has happened to your life in your life and in that testimony you are actually releasing myrrh which is like a painkiller to help comfort others that are walking a really difficult time as well nothing is wasted with god you know, the Bible talks about being able to um, extract honey from the carcass of a lion. Only God can make the death and the dark times of life have something that's got sweetness from it. And whilst none of us want to go through crushing times, none of us want to experience wounding, none of us want to, to face difficult challenges in our health, maybe in our families, maybe in our workplace, none of us want to experience and walk and feel the crushing of life. We can be encouraged that something in those crushing times is being produced that is of great value and of great worth. And we can truly comfort others with the comfort that we've received. And our lives can be like a painkiller to help others that are walking through a similar journey as we can empathize with them and we can point them towards hope and what Jesus has done and how he's helped us, how he's not ever left us or forsaken us in those crushing times, but that he's remained faithful to his promises. Our lives can be like a painkiller to other people. The eighth thing I want to talk about is frankincense. Now, frankincense diffuses a strong fragrance when it's burnt. When Dave and Daniel went to Israel, they came back with frankincense. Daniel is desperate to light it in the house. I'm like, no, I do not want that smell lingering in the house. Do it outside in the garden, on the patio, that's fine. But it's, it's a really gorgeous, but a very distinct flavor that just is there everywhere. And it only gets released through burning. Now, 1 Peter 4, 12 says this, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through. Peter talks about trials as having a fiery nature to them, having a consuming nature to them. And you know, often trials are used to refine us. We see that in James when he says this in James 1, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let Patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. When we're up against the wall, this passage says we don't have to smell of smoke. That we can actually smell a frankincense when we go through real, very real trials. I remember the Lord giving Dave and I this scripture, counted all joy. It's lovely reading it when you're going through a really great time. And then Dave and I went to France with the, um, the kids on holiday. That was a holiday to remember. A few days in, we were cycling. Daniel was on the back of my bike. I fell off my bike. Daniel's arm got trapped underneath, got snapped 
snapped. We had to go to a local hospital in the depths of rural France that didn't have anyone speaking English. I got GCSE English and French, so I was going like this. Un velo! Like that. That was about all I could do. And I'm like, Daniel's arm is crooked and he's crying. Anyway, they had to take us to a city hospital. They were like, he needs, um, he snapped both of his bones. He needs an emergency operation. We need to get to him, to him straight away. So we did that. We did the rest of the holiday with um, a cast on his arm, which was a bit different, but we navigated it on the way back to the um on the way back to the boat, we decided to stop off in San Marlo, and the hills are like that in San Marlo. Dave is an amazing, amazing driver and found this really tight space to squeeze into because there was no parking spaces, and it was on a hill this steep. And as he pulled the handbrake up, the handbrake snapped. Now, it was tight. I'm not joking you. There was about that much space between each vehicle. But the thing is, the vehicles behind us were not like our Fiat Multipler. They were Mercedes and they were BMWs. And I was like, whoo, how are we going to do this then? Because we can't take our foot off the brake. The handbrake's just snapped. We got four, three kids in the back of the car. So I was like, kids, do you want to come and follow me? So we kind of skipped out of the car and we pretended to do a bit of a sightseeing tour. And I said, I'll leave it with you, Dave, to try and work this out. Uh, <laughs> listen, I'm no, I'm no good. Honestly, it would be no good to help in any way, shape or form here. So anyway, a miracle of miracles. Dave managed to like get the biting point all right, and it's a diesel, and apparently that makes it a little bit easier. He managed to get out of this space, happy days. So then we thought, right, we now can't park anywhere in San Marlo because we now no longer have a handbrake to secure the car. So we thought, we'll just go outside San Marlo, we've got a few hours before the ferry, we'll park up. Parked up on the way coming back to the car to go to the ferry, Dave reverses into, into a concrete pillar and bursts a tire. Oh, but I forgot to tell you when he was parking the car, he, act he actually parked the car over this concrete, this like really steep concrete path, ripped the underside from underneath the car. So we had the underside hanging off and then we popped the tire. No joke, child with arm and cast in the back, three young children, we've got to get on a ferry. And we're like, oh my word. So the ferry was about 200 yards away. I'm like, what are we going to do? We can't be late. We cannot miss the ferry. Dave's like, I'm going to drive on. I'm going to drive on three tires. I was like, let's do it. So we're driving on three tires, right? And Dave was like, we just have to get ourselves wedged between two cars because if we do that, they can't refuse us on the boat. We'll drive up, get ourselves wedged, and then we can say, oops, the handbrake's gone, and oops, something else. So we we had a game plan. So we got on the parking lot, and we're there. And Dave was like, we do need to try and change this wheel, though, before we get on the ferry. Thankfully, the multiplayer has, like, retractable seats. And, um, we, I mean, we had our whole life for five of us packed in the back of the car. Everything had to come out for Dave to get the wheel on. We did that. And then... Um, we wheeled, we drove ourselves onto the ferry, smiling at all the people like this, as if nothing's wrong. And then as we got on the ferry, we just had to, went over to have a little word with the warden and said, oh, just to let you know, the handbrake snapped. 
So we're a bit concerned it might roll into other vehicles during the crossing because it's a fast craft. I didn't say that. It's not a ferry. It was a fast craft, one that goes like this, bounces, and is really quick. So anyway, they're like, oh, don't worry. We'll clamp you. We'll tie you down. So they tied us down to the boat. No joke. Dave and I looked, and we're like, you can't make this up. And we actually said to ourselves, I think the only other thing now that can happen for us is for the, the boat to sink. <laughs> Because it was just a crazy, crazy time. But the Lord had given us a scripture. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That was a count it all joy time. Well, it was a trial time. We were trying to count it as joy. And it was a bit tough. And we really didn't know what was going on. But what we did know is we knew that God was with us. So I want to give you some scriptures to encourage you. If you feel that you are being enveloped and consumed by fiery trials, because they are all consuming, but the reality is we don't have to be consumed by them because we have God in the boat of our lives. Here's three scriptures to maybe help you if you ever find yourself in this situation. The first one is Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your hearts. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Isaiah 26 3 you will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. And thirdly Psalm 34 we've sang it today I will bless the Lord at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Yes the heat of the fire is very real but as as followers of Jesus, there is a fragrance of frankincense that can be released from our lives as we plug into him, lean in him, and allow him to help us navigate the tough times of life. So we've had a look at a number of the things that are mentioned in this garden that God has planted in our lives. The next thing we read about is water. In verse 15, it says this, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, and streams from Lebanon. This is significant because in Isaiah 58, God says that and likens our lives to a well-watered garden. Through this passage, we are being shown that he's never going to leave this garden in drought our lives are never going to be parched, but he is going to give us water, and it's that water that sustains our health and vitality. He says you'll never be deficient. In fact, there's three water sources that he's given us. He's given us a fountain, a well, and a stream. I love that. That so represents the character of God, doesn't it? He's not a God of just enough. He's the God of more than enough. And he says to us that you are going to be a well-watered garden. In John 7, this is what Jesus says concerning water. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowd, 
roads. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. The Lord has given us the spirit so that we will never be parched. We will never come into desert situations. We will never be in drought because he is their sustaining life. He is their sustaining life in the good times and also in the bad times. So we read about this scripture. I want us to look, though, at the beginning of the, um, the verses in verse 12, because it starts off by saying, it's a garden locked up. A garden locked up. I think often that can be a big problem. We only have to look maybe at the parable of the Good Samaritan to see this unfolding. We've got this Good Samaritan whose life was really unlocked. Everything, all of his resources were at the disposal of the man on the Jericho Road. But in contrast, we see the Levite and the priest, men that were meant to be carrying God, walk past the man. Why? Because their lives were locked up. They had stuff in them that they could give, but they either didn't recognize it or they chose not to do anything about it and they walked with a life that was locked. You know, we can profess Jesus all we want, but what good is it to the world in which we live if we're locked up? God wants our lives to be unlocked gardens where all that fragrance, all that bounty can be enjoyed and released to other people. So how can we make our garden unlocked? Well, the key is found actually in verse 16. And these are the words of the bride. Having heard the bridegroom Solomon declare all of those things in verse 12 through to verse 15, she then responds by saying this, Awake, O north wind, and come, O south. Blow upon my garden that its spices may flow out. She recognized that there was an external force, the wind, that was needed in order to unlock and all the life that had been invested in her. The same thing happened with the disciples in the upper room, hey? They were lovers of Jesus, but their lives were locked. But then it says, but the Holy Spirit came as a mighty rushing wind. And what happened? He unlocked their lives. He empowered them. He enabled them to go out to pre preach the gospel, to lay hands on the sick, and to see miracles take place. It was the winds that moved them. It was the wind that allowed their lives to be unlocked. So what are the winds? Well, it says there's two winds. There's the north wind and there's the south wind. The north wind is a cold and fierce wind. It's a side of life that is harsh and uncomfortable. It's the barren place of life often where we don't know what's going on. It's where the leaves have fallen off, the branches are bare, and where the garden is exposed to the severity of the elements. And then you've got the south wind, which is a gentle, warm, favorable, life-enriching wind. Wherever the south wind is, there's growth, there's beauty and fruitfulness. But according to this passage, it's both the north wind 
and the south wind that's needed to unlock our lives. We've seen that really, haven't we, through what we've read about. There's things that are a bit difficult in there, myrrh, frankincense, all those things that require crushing and fire and, and bruising, but both are needed so that the fragrance from our garden can be released. God says he uses all things in our life, doesn't he, to work together for good the good times and the bad times. When we look at Jesus, we see how Jesus went through south wind times. You know, when he, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, when, and, the, the, and the Lord said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And when he went about doing good and healing all that were sick, that was a south wind moment. But it was only a month later that he was experiencing the severity of the north wind when they threw him out of church and tried to throw him off a cliff. And then the three years later, we see him praying, sweating blood in the garden when he says, if there's any other way to let this cup pass by me, from me, but it's not my will be done, but yours. He experienced the north and the south wind, but in both seasons and with both winds, he was fragrant. And that's what we can be like. Where do we find ourselves today? Does it feel like our lives are being pounded by the fierceness of the north wind? I just want to encourage you, don't fear. Don't feel like it's something you've done wrong, because it's not. These things happen. Our lives have ups and downs, mountains and valleys. We see that in Psalm 23. But be encouraged that God has not abandoned you. In those times where the north wind is raging, he is near and he is, is close. And we can hold on to the hope that he has put everything within us that we have need of in order to work and move through the season that we find ourselves in. And he promises to never forsake us. Despite the strong winds, we get to diffuse calamus, myrrh, and frankincense. Or maybe this morning you're feeling this, um, the gentle warmth of the south wind blowing across your life. You're excited to see what God is enfolding and what he's doing for you. You're excited to see um, your plants beginning to bloom in your garden for the first time. I'd encourage you, enjoy yourself whilst the south wind is blow, blowing. This is a favorable season. And in this season of great favor, remember to be open for other people. Be willing to serve. Be willing to help. Be willing to color their lives. We can be that flavoring and that coloring like we see in, um, <coughs> in cinnamon henna and saffron the final thing i want to say verse 16 says this let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits that was the ultimate desire of the woman in the song of solomon and it's the ultimate desire of our hearts really as well isn't it to live a life that's completely unlocked and that brings great pleasure to our Lord and Savior. 
That's the ultimate desire, our lives to be pleasing to him. And in being pleasing to him, our lives impact and reach so many other people. I'm going to ask the musicians to come now. And just as they come, I just want to pray for us in this place. Because we find ourselves in any of those situations, maybe all of them, all at one time. But Lord, today we thank you for your words of encouragement to us. Lord, we thank you that we find in our lives such a rich deposit of choice fruits and spices and plants that help us diffuse beautiful fragrance of you in our lives. Lord, we ask you to help us to be fragrant whether it's through the crushing and the bruising, or whether it's through the life and the energy and the favor that our life is going through now. Lord, help us to be, um, help our lives to be a fragrance that's so beautiful and pleasing to you. We thank you, Lord, that it is a joy to serve you. It is a joy to come before you and lay our, our lives wholeheartedly devoted before you like the woman with the alabaster jar. Lord, we pray that you would see and receive our lives, Lord, and it would be like a sweet aroma of spikenard ascending before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.